doesn't happen often, Clay, but sometimes Star Trek makes me laugh out loud. And in this one, I think cementing Tuvok is one of my favorite characters. His uh, his opening here in the the teaser where they're talking about playing whatever they're playing billiards or whatever whatever they're playing pool, I guess mm. is what we learned that they're actually playing and not billiards. Um, his thing about he's going to beat the safety by like hitting seven banks and then, you know, careening into the, uh, the seven ball, or whatever he needs. And it's going to knock it right in. And mm. then he just lines up the shot and just, just like shanks it cleanly into the corner of Hawken. I don't know. I found that extremely funny. I, it was so, they didn't even bother like having him hit any of the bank shots or anything and just miss it by like a millimeter or something. And then have him say, Oh, I think the, uh, I think the alignment protocols are off on the ship. He just, he, he couldn't hit a worse shot. He just shanked it right into the pocket, and it's just like, well, what the hell are you going to do? That's pool. Baby. Yeah. <clears throat> I found that funny because I did like the joke, but then the follow-up when uh, fake Kramer was like, I guess you didn't tell you that the uh, table kind of banks to the left. Came yeah. after yeah. the discussion that Tuvok had just been cleaning house. So clearly that didn't <laughs> matter before. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to him in that in that case then? What, what went wrong with that shot? Just a sweaty yeah. palms or just, something like that? Yeah, he's, you know, flew too close to the sun with that one, I guess. Is that a professional way to hold the cue stick? He held it, like, in the circle of his finger. Like, if you're making a zero, he had, like, the cue in there. I, I was never I was never taught that that was an appropriate way to play. I was, Is there an appropriate way to do it? I was always through through the finger. Through, like two fi- through two fingers? I was always taught to make, like, your thumb. This is the, the video podcast. <laughs> to put it on the crook of your thumb. Right here. Oh, sure. You, sure. So you like lay your hand down and, and sort of bounce it off that. Maybe there's no official mm-hmm. way to do it. I wonder if the rules have anything yeah, to say. Whatever works, I guess. We're not billiards pool experts. So we're here to talk about Jetrell, the jet setting episode. It's the 15th penultimate episode of season one. There's only one left after this. Came out on May 15th, 1995. This is the first season of Voyager, if I didn't mention that. This one is teleplay goes to Jack Klein, Karen Klein, and Kenneth Biller. Story credit goes to James Thornton and Scott Nimmerfro, I guess. Directed by Kim Friedman. In-universe date 48832.12371. In this episode called Jatrell, the scientist who developed a weapon that killed 300,000 of Neelix's people in a war 15 years ago, boards Voyager, claiming that Neelix is terminally ill. James uh, Sloyan, Sloyan, I guess, who's been multiple famous roles on DS9. He famously plays uh, Odo's father in DS9 in a couple of episodes. He's like the Bajoran scientist who takes uh, care of Odo. He plays um, the Romulan Defector in the TNG classic Defector episode, which is very good in as well. And here he is in Jatrell. Does he hold the record for most characters with episodes named after him being the defector from defector and being Jatrell two, two out from of Jatrell. yeah two out of five maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah. which is enough um, well you remember that episode of deep space nine that was just titled odo's dad odo's dad part one and part two should we count those <coughs> as separate or are they just the one one piece <laughs> we'll have to come up with a rule no he uh what was it mara i think his name was something mara or something like that anyway can we um can we can Jitra. we get right to the point with this one yeah. um hmm Kess only is gonna live for nine years. Yes, like she had. I think she they a dog said that in caretaker. Something? Did they say? I think caretaker? they said that in. Care- I think they said in caretaker that her species dies quickly for some reason. Yep. That makes man. That makes their relationship a lot weirder, or at least like uh, Neelix is really playing the long game here, being like, "Well, I mean, she can come on the ship, but she's not gonna be here forever." <laughs> is she? Does it make it more okay that she's now essentially middle aged, and it's not a? There's no discrepancy here between any kind of age thing or something. Is she middle aged? Is if if she lives for eight years and she's four years old, who's to say wh- how old she is? <laughs> I don't know. How do we know that Neelix didn't just like pick her up the day she was born? I don't know. Who know? Who's who's to Good say day. how old she is? Pod people. <clears throat> yeah, Cass hasn't been too. Um, she hasn't been in a lot of the episodes recently. She's sort of barely mm. in this one too, but she has she has a little bit of a role where she plays Neelix's um shoulder to cry on. Um Jatrell. So it's Voyager does duet. 
basically. Uh, yes. Down to the fact that it's the second to last episode of the first season. It has Oh, that's a funny. Villain. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it has a villain who is played by a charismatic actor <laughs> who comes on and has a lot of one-on-one scenes with one of our heroes in this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode's fairly well regarded by Voyager reviews and fans. People tend to like this one. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Your pause there is that fairly well regarded by Voyager. And I was like, oh, they really... The show thinks Voyager quite a lot of this good. one, huh? Yeah. Although Pillar said this is not... It's great. <laughs> Pillar said this one is not a metaphor for the nuclear bombs in Japan, which is an interesting <clears throat> thing to say. Um, because it's <laughs> Unpre- incorrect. Well, uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Pillar, we... Nobody asked you that, but thank you for volunteering that information. He's clearly left the show at this point, right? He's not working on it. If they bring up a show and he's like, yeah, no, that's not a, that's not what that metaphor was. Um, people generally like this one. I think some of the patrons have pretty high marks for it. I, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what I, I thought this one was just okay. And then it got to the end and I was like, oh, this is worse. This is this ending. It's just really <laughs> fucked everything up. Uh, I, I think it misses everything that makes duet great. And, well, I'm sympathetic and like interested, kind of interested in the schism between Jatrell and Neelix. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, I think this one falls apart for perhaps unfair reasons. If you think you're supposed to care about like the stuff that they're talking about, but I think narratively, this completely falls apart with the way that it ends and in a way that it makes no sense. It comes down to our favorite new modern Trek thing of why didn't you try to just tell everyone right. from the they start what's going that. on? Neelix even says, that. Like, why don't you just tell us? There's no good reason. Yeah. Does he answer him in the episode? What's the reason for not, he has literally no reason to not tell them what's going on. I, f- I forget if I had to guess, it was probably something like I knew, I knew you wouldn't trust me or something like that. But I don't, I don't even, I don't even buy Like basically once he does that reveal, and it's revealed that he's trying to help everybody. And I think I think everything kind of cascades away from it at that point where it stops making any internal sense down to Janeway and Tuvok's reason to not do it is that they're like, this is too hard. <laughs> I don't want to do this. And it's like they don't even have a um, – there's not even a sort of moral case about maybe this is disrespectful to the dead to right, be making these right. zombie people come back to life. And maybe we should just let sleeping dogs lie. Their rationale is that there's a lot of calculations in this. I don't think we can we can do well, this. I don't even want to try. I I kind of read that as as that was more than being like it, it would be worse to fuck it up than it would to you know what I mean where it's like if they don't get the calculations right and they brundle fly everybody that might just that might be worse. They don't state that explicitly, but that was kind of how Yeah, I they're read not overt it. Um, about that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's um I I I kind of I kind of felt the same way. I was a little bit uh <clears throat> I didn't mind the turn from Jatrell because I thought it was so I <clears throat> I had hoped that his plan was completely impossible. Like it wasn't even a mention matter of like, oh, well, this is going to be difficult. I I was hoping it would be completely impossible. <clears throat> because I liked the idea of this guy who had this theory that basically kind of took over his life and drove him nuts. Um, and that stems from this guilt that he has about, about what he had done to all these people. Um, that ultimately is just, it, it's, it's not an attainable goal. Like I, I found that to right. be interesting and, and, and more of a, uh, <clears throat> compelling sort of way to end the episode for that character than, than actually, trying it out and getting like a a glowy space mime to show up for a second before yeah. before uh dissipating Glimmers. back into the ether yeah yeah uh, but yeah the, the last the i thought the last bit when they actually kind of were uh um transporting the per the tr- attempting to reintegrate the person the person was was interesting but i don't it didn't really fit and um I really didn't like the last scene where Neelix just goes in and says, I forgive you. That kind of felt a, a fairly unearned to me and just a quick wrap up. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> which is why, which is why I kind of wish that, that, that his, uh, 
his quest was more explicitly impossible because I, I think it, it, it would have more impact on Neelix if he could see how this, he, he, he just really recognized and appreciated that this guy was so, so absolutely destroyed by this that he's been trying his, the rest of his life to make it right. But obviously he can't. And that's, that's yeah. more, I feel like that breeds more compassion than, Oh, I think I can do this. We might be able to do this. Shit, we could have done it if Voyager just had been a little bit more powerful. You know, that's that's not yeah. really that emotionally strong for me. It's tough because I um I think I actually prefer the perspective that they bring to it early when they sort of cast out on like how responsible should this guy be? And I think he has mm-hmm. a fairly compelling argument. He's like, this was an inevitable discovery. Like, I just happened to be the person who was in charge when this stuff was uh, starting to come about. And therefore, you know, it's in my interest to, like, he has some, an argument about, like, it's my interest for science to discover things and then sort of, like, let people figure out what to do with that information. Like, mm-hmm. my job as a scientist is just to go out there and sort of figure stuff out. Um, I, I, I think I preferred if there was a continued sense of whether or not they had done anything wrong in that way, I know that you can't use the ending that they have here, but I don't really like the ending that they have here. I think Mm -hmm. there's a, I think there's a more interesting episode where Jatrell actually fully embodies the Oppenheimer thing about like, he had some Oppenheimer has some quote that they actually say in the episode, which is that I feel guilty, but not remorseful, something like that, which Mm -hmm. is like a, um, that's the kind of attitude that I would find more interesting to have against Neelix. And I think it's maybe a less solvable problem by the end of the episode about what that's supposed to mean. But I I don't even know if they're really interested in that. And I don't know if they're interested in making it so that this guy ends his life trying to fix things when they, they also go out of their way to have Neelix sort of imply that he's not even really mad at Chitrell for what he did. He's more mad at himself for not mm-hmm. being there and going through with his um his service in the military or whatever. Um I don't I, I think it's one of those things it's just like once you once the episode is over and I look back on it it's just like I don't think any of this really hangs together all that well. It's it's I understand the core um concept and like the core narrative and the core controversy or like uh, conflict that they wanted to have between the characters, but I wasn't that entertained by it. And I also walked away just going like, well, I don't really know if anything interesting actually ended up being said there in contrast to duet, which I think has like a lot going for it. This one doesn't, I didn't really feel bad for anybody, unfortunately. (laughs) And I think that that's kind of the, the main problem of the episode. Like even Neelix, I don't know. It's like for some reason the duet, uh, like the, the, the murder of the Bajorans and the uh, the Bajoran treatment feels somehow more <clears throat> empathetic or like impactful than the atomic bomb dropping. I don't know why that yeah. doesn't really make a lot of well, sense, but for some reason it doesn't land the same way. No, I, I think you I think you're right because in in Deep Space Nine, the Bajoran and Cardassian conflict is a central conflict of the show. It's something mm-hmm. that's been there since the the first episode and has been simmering underneath. Since then, whereas this is something, this conflict <clears throat> is, to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time any of this has been brought up. And yeah. so there's no connection to it, really. And even ne- when Neelix is telling his story, his uh, his story about being a coward or whatever, um, I had a hard time really tracking it and really feeling that bad because I wasn't even really sh- I was as confused as Kess was let's put it that way because yeah. he's <laughs> he's like well remember when I told you that I did this I didn't do this because I was here I wished I was there but then I hadn't been there so I couldn't have happened to me as well and Kess is like I'm sorry could you who who where Started what over. planet <laughs> what planet were you on yeah and uh <clears throat> oh it's it's a little confusing because the place that this happens is not their home world it's a moon mm-hmm. on the home world so it's like this strange he's at talex i guess which is his home planet but it's the moon off of talex so there's a lot of places you can be at the same time and he was down on the home world planet when the moon got attacked and so you have to sort of track all this information as to what's going on i actually yeah. had a um i was going to come in with another what i thought was a big question which is that 
why does Neelix, if Neelix was not there during the attack, why does he not question his diagnosis? But I guess that he must have gone back on a rescue mission. Yeah, right? he, is that what he, he had did? been? He had been going back on rescue missions. So he actually went to the planet, um, yeah, to rescue people, and that was not faked. Okay, so yeah, that's, I was the that's wrong how he that, uh, that's how he saw the the little girl who had been burnt up and all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, um, I, I thought he had been making up that story. Like I thought that's how far oh. into his delusion he was. That, but what 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 changed that for me is the dream sequence where they actually showed that yeah. it's like oh we must have seen yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. It also it also is a weird. He's a weird character to choose to tell the story with, because ultimately what he's saying is a fairly interesting um point of view for him to have when he admits this thing to, to, to Kess, where he says that he was supposed to be in the army, but he didn't join the army because he didn't believe the war. He didn't believe in the war. So he was a conscientious objector, basically. And so that meant that he wasn't on the moon when his family was killed. And so he basically has survivor's guilt based on the decisions yep. that he made, um, choosing to sit things out and, and sort of be not a deserter, but just not join the army. And that is a, that is a interesting character beat for him, for someone to have to, to take on all of this guilt based on an ethical position that they held at the time. So to have him be a pacifist or, or a conscious objector or whatever, and then, also then be a direct uh someone directly impacted by more warfare and how does that change his mind and and how does that make him uh feel and it 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 creates all these feelings of anger towards the whatever the jatrell people are called um harkonians i think it's almost like the dune reference i think they're the hakonians or something yeah um which you know and so that anger is then mixed that intense anger is then mixed with his own guilt and it is i do find that pretty interesting um i i just don't know if it's if if it really works 100 percent um the way that they kind of want it to and i i think what they what they are trying to do here as well is is present two sides uh to both Neelix and Jatrell as far as how they approach and how they feel about things, obviously, because, you know, Jatrell, when he's talking to Neelix, he's saying what you're saying, where he's like, yeah, I, you know, what was I supposed to do? I'm just a scientist. And Neelix yeah. pushes back on that in a way that I think is totally fair. Where he was like, he's like, well, yeah, I mean, you could have said something. And he's like, well, mm. you know, it wouldn't have done anything. And it's like, well, you still could have said it. You know, you could have at least tried. Um, yeah. And then later that shell is cracked, obviously, and, and reveals that he is incredibly remorseful about it um, in a way that sort of uh, reminded me a bit of the guy from uh, Enterprise. Uh, who's that? The guy who builds the weapon for the Zindi that Archer oh, goes yeah. down and tells him what 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 they're doing with it and stuff. De- Deba? Deba? De- Dago? Sure. What's that guy's name? I don't know. Doesn't Diego? <laughs> Can't remember. It's been a long time. Um so yeah, I like I, Degra. I like Degra. Degra, that's right. So I like Degra. what they're trying to do as far as, you know, you have these two surface level opinions of the situation, which then you break down and find that the true emotional feelings are different. Um but yeah, I just don't I don't think it really follows through uh as tightly as as Duet does. And I mean it's tough to compare those two because Duet's a fantastic yeah. episode. I think people compare these two similar the tour.com review said that this is perhaps better than duet which i thought was i think i'm getting mm. the reviews right which is just is it's an inter- interesting opinion he gave it a 10 out yeah. of 10 um well wow. I, I think that like i think what's what's really suffers for me is that duet is like this clear focus about what it's about and i feel like this yeah. one is like it's a mix of metaphors like down to it's about the atomic bomb but neelix is um, objections to fighting is more of a Vietnam thing. So sure. it's just like yeah. every war is getting piled into each other. And you're like, well, it, it's just, it's a cleaner metaphor if you stick to one conflict and you have like a sense of what that yeah. he's actually fighting. 
I mean, sure, well, because, but because if you start mixing, if you start mixing the effects of the different wars, it just becomes this sort of grand anti-war sentiment type thing. And that loses focus on what the central conflict between Jatrell and Neelix is. If you just start going like, yeah, war is a bitch, isn't it? And, and then they go, I guess. like it, it loses the specificity that you have from this conflict, which is supposed to be the atomic bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima and stuff like that. I think that's what the focus of it is to be, down to Jatrell being Oppenheimer. But yeah. if you just start throwing everything in there, you end up confused right down to the fact of Neelix when you said he's uh, not a deserter he's, a, he's an objector to the war it's true but Neelix also says that on Talix his planet if you don't fight it's a death sentence so like right, that's what surprised right. me about him going to the rescue mission is that that felt like to me that's when Neelix's journey of going off into space on his own was he abandoned his planet because he mm -hmm. had to leave because otherwise he's going to be killed. But apparently he doesn't fight in the war and then is just running through rescue missions and no one holds him accountable at that point. He, like he pulls a Don Draper or something mm -hmm. and he just sort of pretends that he was in the war. So I think it's all, just, I think there's just a lot of different things that are confused about it down to the theology of it or, or not theology, but the, um, ideology and then netflix's response to everything netflix's response netflix yeah <laughs> i would which one would you rather cancel netflix and you at this, at this you know i honestly it doesn't bother me that much that they're kind of mixing things because i i don't think that it it's about the one-to-one -one, um event as much as it is just about general like responsibility and the feelings of responsibility and how that weighs on people in these situations. And, uh, I, I, I understand that the protesting the war was something that is much more, um, tied to Vietnam, but, uh, I think you could apply that to any war if you really wanted to, but it is, it is yeah. like the one thing people remember about Vietnam is apparent is the protests really, but well, yeah, I mean, you come out culture as anyway. You come out as incorrect if you were opposing World War II, you know, if you were sure. just like, yeah, yeah, whatever happens, like, that's fine. Um, yeah. If you're Swiss or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no one respects you, so you had to become bankers. Um, yeah, I... Because, I mean, you know, because you've got the... It has some elements of, like, World War One built into it as well. Because, I mean, in World War One. It was everybody who was of fighting age had to go into the war, and if you didn't, if you didn't sign up, then you were an outcast and you were shunned by literally everybody. So it's got a bit of that baked into it too. So it's got, you know, it's got some. It's I I felt like it was more about <clears throat> responsibility of actions than it was necessarily about the one to one of which which war and which event they were trying to to use. Yeah, but all right, so. So if you're making a statement about the morality of the atomic bombings of Japan, mm -hmm. Neelix I would basically say, I, I would say though while yes, I think that is a way you could go. I don't think and it is just by like the size of the number of people who are killed, that seems to be the the easiest way to go. But I think you could still apply that to any large-scale weapon of mass destruction from any war, whether it's gas. Because, I mean, it's, it's a gas, right? So it's basically a giant biological gas. Oh, attack. I mean, I, I find this to be almost unequivocally a nuclear attack. It's like it's a one bombing event that kills that many people. Yeah, I'm, yes. I, uh, yeah, I, I think it is, it is closer to that. But I think it is the application I think you could, you could put to any large-scale WMD type situation. <clears throat> yes, but but Charles clearly Oppenheimer, like he's clearly sure, someone who's sure. supposed to be regretful yeah. of inventing this technology. So it, it can't just be yeah. a regular bomb because anyone can bomb, anyone can build that, and no one seems to care. But the the idea of Trust building me. a huge bomb, I know you're right. Don't <laughs> you can, ask you can, me how you I know. Can browse the internet. What's that? Um, what's that right wing militia book? The, oh. Uh, the anarchist cookbook is that what no no the real one the uh the one that like mcveigh read oh the something papers right yeah yeah i forget what it's called i can't remember 
So some some shitty novel that tells you how to make bombs. Um, yeah, I because I, I I think it's so clearly a nuclear allegory <laughs> that it's interesting that Neelix is a like Neelix's stand is apparently to take an objector stance against the people who use that on him. So in some ways he's almost siding with the Hakonians in some way it sounds like right. because he doesn't feel right. that this war is worth fighting. But then his family gets bombed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just like if the intent is to just make a soupy mess of an episode where there's a lot of different stuff going on and you're just kind of generally talking about war, I guess this is a, su- a success. But I, I feel that the episodes, <laughs> I feel that the episodes generally work better if there's a little mm. bit of a focus on the one thing or event that they're talking about. Like mm. in Duet, it's about the not doing anything in the face of evil is what Duet is about. Sure, but this is about. This is about a not doing anything in the face of evil, being an objector to war in general, and then feeling bad that your family gets killed, and then trying to resurrect the dead after that. And right. It's like right. there's too much stuff going on here. You, you're not you're not focusing enough on any of these in particular to make it a strong enough episode. Yeah, that's what I found. <clears throat> God, excuse me. That's what I found so interesting about um, Neelix's point of view is that um, what what they're kind like the. The thing they're saying about about his own res- sense of responsibility and guilt that he feels is is interesting to me, but like coming out of the other side of it, <clears throat> when you really kind of look at exactly what he's saying and what he did, it is kind of the the episode is kind of taking a stance on the side of uh, or against um, conscientious objecting or yeah pacifism in this, in this situation yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. Well, because Which, it's using a World War II metaphor instead of Vietnam. Right. It's, right. it's not yeah. going deep enough to make it a Vietnam allegory. Yeah, and I mean, if you tr- if you extrapolate that out into straight into oh, the bombing of Hir- Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you're essentially presenting a Japanese car- a Japanese person who thought that the war shouldn't have been fought with America, and then yeah. once they get Drop the bomb, they become uh, aggressively anti-American, which anti-American. I'm sure did happen. I mean, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. Um, yeah. But it is an interesting way to take a character like Neelix, who is not its not exactly the most political character I've ever seen in Star Trek. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading a thing about uh, Westmore's design <clears throat> is that Neelix is apparently designed to be very uh, uh, toyable. Like he was easily oh, turned sure. into a toy. Was was part of his <laughs> yeah. design. Every kid wants a fucking hairy ass gremlin <laughs> hairy troll doll Neelix <laughs> toy for Christmas. No, I was just laughing. They made his um. He was saying that in contrast to a lot of Star Trek species, I'd never noticed this, but he said that he intentionally made Neelix's face round as opposed to angular, which was his way of uh, working with most other species for whatever reason. Interesting. Um, but he does he does have a little plump face uh, with silly hair. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I feel that this one just kind of missed the whole way through. I, I thought that it was fine, but it was not really. Um, the scenes where Neelix is talking to him and then talking to Cass didn't really grab me. I wasn't mm-hmm. really enthralled by any of that stuff. And Jatrell's, I the most excited I got was when Jatrell Jatrell started making his goo monster in the lab, and then he knocked out Neelix, and I was like, "Oh, this guy's actually evil, and something badass is going to happen." Well, when he, when they it did didn't that, go that way, when they did that, and they finally explained what was going on, and everything was said and done, my first thought was like, "So, how many of those people don't get reformed now because they are some sort of goo creature? Because he yeah. took random a random sampling of vaporized particles and." put them together in some sort of monstrosity. <laughs> I don't think it's ever clear. I Was that a collection of people? I thought he was, when that was done and he started talking about he was going to resurrect people, I thought mm-hmm. then he was going to show them that blob monster and be like, look what I've done. And they all go like, oh my God, this is horrifying. Like you, we, right. we can't allow you to do this. I thought that was a, I thought that they were going to make him clearly insane at that point. Like that's the yeah. point where he his, his facade cracks and he's like, I'm going to, bring everyone back and no one's going to convince me otherwise. It's not the way, that's not the way it is. And the other bad thing about the ending, I think is that 
uh, duet didn't need a lot of really bad techno babble to get its point across. Sure. And this, yeah. the ending of this Voyager episode is just like, let's realign the at atomic particles of a cloud. And then we'll use the transporter to bufferize them at various percents of integrity. And so it's like, oh my goodness, this is right. not, not yeah. very good. I, I will say though, I continue to be tickled by how giddy Janeway gets regarding like technical stuff because yeah. this whole episode, she was just on, on the outside kind of like really into the technical stuff and not really con- caring about much of the specifics of the war between these two people. <laughs> Cause <laughs> yeah, you know, it's very, like, oh, uh, kind to him. Yeah, yeah. Did, like she, to, to they, show, they, when they, he beams on, she's like, "Oh, doctor, like let me let me give you a, a like, let's bring you to the spa and have a nice stay on Voyager." It's like this guy is kind of a an enemy of your main cast member. Interesting. Yeah, I did. I did really like though that Janeway does take them off course to go back and try and do this thing that that he that Jatrell, uh claims that he wants to do because it does it does seem very it is something like that a Starfleet captain or a Janeway specifically would do is to be like, all right, this guy's trying to help people. We have the capacity to do it. So let's go and give him, give him some help. But that brings up to me where, what exactly are they doing? Why are they no still idea. able to turn around and go back to where they found Neelix at this point? Great, they great be, question. They, in the episode, <clears throat> they, they mentioned it. They're like, oh, that's a little bit of a delay. It's not a little bit of a delay. You're going back to where you started this whole thing. At. Yeah. And for, for Neelix of all, pe- of all people, he's not even really Starfleet. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. They talk about it. They talk about it in the pool scene at the beginning that maybe the balance is off on the ship. Maybe, maybe the alignment's mm. off and they've just been slightly going to the left the whole time. And so they are actually just doing a giant intergalactic circle. Am I missing the metaphor of the safety to put someone in an, I mean, to put someone in an unwinnable situation? I mean, I guess it's a metaphor for the conflict between the two yeah. of the characters, but yeah. maybe it could have been a little bit better. I still like Paris's uh Fouque place. This this program is kind of <laughs> nice, and I, I wish that they spent more time there. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What did you um, think of the very, uh, very nice bar vibe? What did you think of the dream sequence? <clears throat> Pretty bad, I thought. Um, not awful, uh, but I thought the burn makeup was fine and everything. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's one of those dream sequences that it is a paint by the numbers dream sequence. It yeah. does all the things that you do in a dream sequence, which inc- including turn the person that you're chasing around and it's you. And then you look at each other right, and you wake right. up. It, it, yeah. It's all that stuff. They, they took that a, a step further too, where all of the other characters who were talking had Neelix's voice, even though it was yeah. Janeway and Paris and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it was fine. I'm, I'm yeah. Uh, was it, would you have, would you cut that if you had to? Seems cuttable, right? I don't yeah. think it's necessary. <clears throat> yeah. I think a story like this, if you can't, if you can't let it sit on its own merits, then a dream sequence isn't going to help convince people that it's no. better. You know, like, cause even at the end of that talk with, with Kess, he essentially, Neelix essentially says something like, maybe I'm just projecting onto this guy for my own, what I feel about myself, but I still also hate him too. And it's like, oh, <laughs> okay, so I'm not really sure where we're going here. What's the, What's the realization Ways that he's having about, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the final comparison to Duet is that I, by the end of Duet, I understand why Kira would feel sympathetic towards, mm-hmm. uh, I forget what that guy's name is now, the clerk. He was the clerk, uh, whatever, I'm not going to remember. But here, as you were saying, I'm a little bit confused. I'm not I'm not super confused. I can kind of see it, but it never. it doesn't really feel right the way that Neelix and him and things. I think it's like mm-hmm. kind of feels like it has to end that way, but I don't know. Um, there's not a clarity mm-hmm. to that through line where I feel that I totally understand the sequence where Neelix is going to come in and say, I forgive you to him only because he, well, it's confused again. It's, it's does Neelix feel bad for himself and realize that he's been unfair to this guy? Or is it the guy trying to resurrect all these people that Neelix is like, Oh, you're actually trying to do a good thing. Therefore this is all okay. What you did. It's yeah, it's kind of sloppy. Well, 
Yeah, I mean that's why I wish that that they hadn't even had the the chance to 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 do it, and it was just more that this guy was was grasping at straws to deal with his own guilt because I think that's more <clears throat> that's more that's way more sympathetic to me than shit. We almost got it, you know. Theoretically, yes. they could theoretically if they went back and got like a couple more ships or something or some extra juice, maybe they could have done it. But if if it's yeah. something that's completely impossible and this guy is just so racked with guilt that he's gone this far to try and do it and it's you know, he's dying and it's he's breaking down because of it. I think there's room there for Neelix to to sympathize a bit more. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I don't I don't know if I don't know if even there I would have Neelix forgive him or maybe or well, maybe if, have if, like if a If he doesn't bring people back, Neelix not Neelix not forgiving him makes a little bit more sense if you're saying that some things cannot be corrected, like some some mistakes yeah. are too grave to allow for a uh yeah, then you get into the whole metaphysical thing about whether or not it's like right to hold it against him. I guess at that point, if it's like if yeah. it was an honest mistake or something. I I didn't mean to discover nuclear fission. It just happened. It could, it could be going um, for an energy source. You know, that's true. Yeah, good point. It's a bomb warp bomb. Yeah. Yep. Warp bomb. Uh, I I think it would be interesting if if they had the scene where. Um, Neelix forgives, says he forgives him, and then there's another tag after that where he where he talks to Kess, and Kess is like, "Wow, that was really big of you to do that." And he says something like, "Oh, it's I I don't forgive him, but I just don't think that he needs to. He, he's he's dying anyway. There's yeah, even Sympathy. even someone like him, yeah, even someone like him des- deserves a little bit of reprieve on their last, you know, something like that, where it's like." He's doing it for this guy because this guy's so clearly tortured by what he did, but that doesn't necessarily change how Neelix feels about what actually happened. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Uh I think it if it had ended that way, I'd be I'd be similarly confused about like where's this go that like that feel it feels like another step of like let's just turn right here to make this uh like an apology for Neelix and you go what an interesting right. strange choice that they decided to do that in this story i don't know i th- i think it's i think that comes like our discussion about it here is just it, it comes down to the fact that it's difficult to pinpoint kind of what this is about in any sense that it's like mm-hmm. oh this is the this is the story that's being told here and this is why Neelix apologizes this is why this guy is so dedicated to bringing these people back this is why Neelix was a conscientious objector and stuff like that but um i don't know again to me it just feels like it's all a little bit too pureed from a different a bunch of different parts mm-hmm. um is there anything else in this one not really you got a couple of paris and chakotay and janeway things tuvok's in it for a little bit fake kramer is in it <laughs> no i guess that's it pretty much um so we'll go to the wrap-up then, go to our final thoughts. Thanks, everybody, for listening to our coverage of Jetrell today. Hope you enjoyed the content. If you did, patreon.com slash the Penske file is the best way to support the show. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month to get extra stuff. Coverage of Star Trek Strange New Worlds is ongoing right now. We did Picard Season 2. Clay and Amanda have Stephen King's second, second string thing going for a rotten horror picture show. Occasionally some badass stuff. All the good stuff. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. And as always, our Captain Tier supporters get a special thank you, which special thank you this time goes to Ben Douglas, Tark Latif, Andrew Sherlock, Joint Mango, Christian Pouch, Carol Bart, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Michael Pond, Matt Cutler, Nick Sergey, Grim Santos, Grim Santos, Sean, Brendan Howells, Bradley Killens, Vault 13 Hero, Dwayne Hackett, Kevin Reyes, Jordan Cooper, Russell Owens, Stephen Min, Darth Moss, HH28, Derek Sajak, Paul Roscoe, Jake123, Patrick Seba, Dave Davies, Point G, Barry Wallace, Jamie Crow, Captain Brazen, Eric Santuan, Jake Keys, Gamer, William Scheisler, Nick the Rat, J- Rayhan Jaffer, Grapple John Zorn, Zane Majors, Olivia Pardieu, Tom Hickey, Jose Hunter, CW, Nuffy Remixes, Captain Punchas, and James McLennan, Tommy Tango, Jonas, Two Weeks Must Die, Diz Brother, Admiral Nakamura, Ed Mark Star, uh, Chris McLaughlin, Royo, Jeremy Boudreaux, J-Man, Alec DeWolf, The Undiscovered, Mugato, Robbie Duffield, Will Clay, Atanga Udom, Artorias, Zalen Maru, and Jaron Hatch. Thanks, everybody, for supporting the show. So now we'll go to our comments. If you're at a $5 and up level, you can leave your comments. We read them, respond to them, 
Norman Buckwell says, Chitrell, the attempted duet in Voyager, it's not bad. We finally learned a lot about Neelix in this episode, and it's one of the rare times when he's not a run-it-and-gag run comic relief type of character. Chitrell is definitely an interesting character, and the references to Hiroshima and Nagasaki are obviously but good. Obvious but good. The attempted experiment of bringing back the dead, well, you'll see this again in season four of Enterprise, and I liked the original better. Four magic transporter resurrections out of five. When do they What's do the resurrection in Enterprise? in Enterprise? Yeah, I don't know. So the episode is Daedalus. It's the transporter. Emery Erickson, the inventor of the transporter with his dead son, lost in space, which ah. has to transport him to bring him back from that. Right, right. So that I makes sense. about that one. I yeah. think I liked Daedalus better than this one, maybe. So maybe I disagree with Norman a little bit about <laughs> that one. Uh, next, James McLennan says, two solid episodes in a row. How long can this hot streak last? <clears throat> Ethan Phillips really puts it all, uh, puts in his all and adds a lot of empathy and gravitas to his character. Characterization of Jatrell is essentially a remorseful Oppenheimer equivalent. It's interesting and Sloyan is excellent in the role as he always is. The resurrection plan is, of course, pure nonsense, but the fact that it doesn't work is what makes it really click into place. Four guest characters played by James Sloyan out of five. I think that might actually be an interesting rating that's true, factually true. Jonas says, to Trell, does anyone really care about Neelix? The episode is well executed, but I cannot help finding Neelix insufferable, especially when he is, for a long time, the center of attention. He's a one-note Johnny here. Lieutenant Worf says the word Kittimer fewer times in an entire series than Neelix says the word Rhinax, the moon he grew up on in this episode. Rhinax, Rhinax, I can't remember. Or at least it feels that way. I've taken that. Gave me horrible arthritis. Taken that. Yeah, it's Rhinax. <laughs> it's the generic uh, arthritis drug. A latte librarian says, Jatrell, it's very subtle, but I think this episode is about nuclear bombs. <laughs> it is subtle. Aaron Million says, why is Kess usually in sickbay except when it's convenient for the doctor to be deactivated? I really dislike Neelix, thus I don't like this episode. Good Trek message here about forgiveness at the end, although that seemed a bit of a stretch given that Neelix's family has been wiped out. <laughs> One out of five. Matt I know. Ross would it have been? <clears throat> would it have been a more, a better episode if the guy's dying and Neelix comes over and touches his hand and just goes, "I hope you rot in hell." <laughs> just watches him breathe his last breath and go out. Did he die at the end, or was he just shutting his eyes? Oh, I don't know. Not sure. My question is: so he didn't have any way to cure that disease he, that was all all of that was a ruse yeah i guess so yeah right. yep <clears throat> yeah weird disease too you're pretty much okay until the moment you die <laughs> and then it's just, there's no there's no well, downgrading of yourself well you stumbled i mean once. yeah at a certain point you go then that's and yeah. briefly passes <laughs> it is a it is a strange sci-fi disease. To trial from Matt Ross says, coming out as an anti-war and an anti-nuclear war, the shock of the A-bomb shopped in Japan, the story deals with many issues and shows the side of Neelix that needed to be shown more frequently. Neelix shows emotion that may explain his defensive joviality. To trial is Oppenheimer and his shock at developing the A-bomb is ably played by James Sloyan. And believable, the only unintentionally funny line is the name of the survivor being Palaxia from Talaxia. Otherwise, a good story that conveyed its message without a sledgehammer, something New Trek misses entirely. Four guilty minds out of five. I've I've heard that limerick. There once was a Talaxian named Palaxia. <laughs> See, you know, what's interesting about this to me is why I think it's why I gravitate more towards it being not... I mean, obviously it is about nuclear war and the nuclear bomb, but at least in the 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 analog that's for the event but that's why i gravitate more towards it being about like responsibility for actions in war and stuff like that because like who in 1997 or wherever this is is like feels like it's a hot take that maybe the atomic bomb wasn't a great idea you know what i mean like it's not it, it it's such an easy mark to to be like we're making a direct comparison to uh, atomic, the atomic, the dropping of the atomic bomb and stuff like that. It, it, it seems like it's more, there's more meat on the bone. If you're just talking about uh, if, if you're focusing on more on the responsibility and the way that guilt weighs and with actions and stuff like that, then, then it is about like, Oh, this is an anti-atomic bomb episode. Yeah. Well, 
I guess I would, I guess I would say it's, I don't, I don't see it as particularly anti nuclear weaponry in the sense that you can be sort of pro nuclear weaponry, but it's like, it's a, um, it's less about the, it's almost less about the tech and more about just like the, what you're supposed to feel for developing it, I suppose, and opening Pandora's sure. box there. Maybe that's a very small difference. It doesn't really matter. I think this was, I think this came out on the 50th anniversary or close, like this year was the 50th anniversary of the bomb. Oh, interesting. Which is why. Okay. Yeah, and sure. Like this is not our first. The other thing is that this is not our first Voyager episode to deal with nuclear weapons. They had that other, the one where they went into the past and they got wiped out by the atomic bomb that Janeway caused by going there. Oh, it was like yes. the third episode yeah. time and again. Hey guys, really sorry, but Clay's internet gave out at this point and a little bit of the recording got scrambled. So this is the best I could do to save the edit. We are missing some things, some patron comments. I apologize for that, but it is what it is. So I apologize. We'll try to get the internet sorted out and hopefully this won't happen again in the future. Sorry. Was used for horrible destruction. Dr. Marcus's Genesis device being the most prominent. But here it went straight to World War II analogies. Charles is Robert Oppenheimer and we see revealed in him many of the same post-war demons that haunted his real life counterpart. It's some tough questions that are asked. The biggest being, can forgiveness ever be given? In this case, the answer is yes, but still had to be a price for atonement. Ethan Phillips is given his first really great material to work with, and James Sloyan is always great in his Trek roles. Thanks very much for that. Woodrow says, in the last three episodes, Voyager is haunted, encounters a mad scientist, and now a Neelix episode, when will the horror end? Odo's dad is great as the scientist, and the story makes me wonder which, if any of the Tuskegee it's Tuskegee, I think, right? Experiment or Manhattan Project scientists ever tried to make amends. I almost cried when I found out Neelix did not have Neutremia. But all in all, a good episode. 3.5 out of 5. Is it, it's Neutremia, right? Which sounds like a diet drug in this episode that's filled with diet words or uh, science words. Undiscovered Mugato says to trial alien giraffe lion Neelix has a halfway decent arc in this one. It didn't chicken out either in how it handled space. Joseph Ming, everyone, is <laughs> it's Mengal, right? It's not Mingali. I always want to pronounce it Mingali. At least up until he conveniently died. His attempt to beam back the dead Talaxians was suitably gruesome and sad. Oh, I just looked it up, and the writer said it was a Hiroshima metaphor. Oh, damn, Tuchel wasn't Space Mengel. He was Space Robert Oppenheimer. Look at the correction in real time in these comments. Four, are we the baddies out of five? Do-do-do. I should put a poll up for what people actually think about the, um, the atomic bombing, whether or not it was justified. I was reading some... Something was talking about um, this idea that if America hadn't developed it, it would have been prohibitively expensive for other countries to develop it and therefore it would not likely have been developed, which is interesting. So basically, America was the only economy that was able to support it. And if America had failed, other countries maybe perhaps would not have tried to pursue it because of how prohibitively expensive it is to develop the technology. That doesn't seem right to me. I almost buy, um, I bet Chitrell's argument in this more that it's like, it's kind of inevitable. It just seems the science seems inevitable and eventually cost will come down to a point where you're allowed to do those kinds of things and discover them. Changeling says, I think I'm in the minority here, but I think this episode sucks. It sucks for the same reason. Duet is great. The villain, Jachal, never gives any pushback, rationalization, or even a sadistic taunt. He's just there for Neelix to vent his rage. So we think this episode is more than important, more important than it is. One heavy hand out of five. Carpal John Zorn. Joe Sloyan is the great, is the one multi-alien Trek guest actor who's so distinctive that no amount of makeup can cover him up. As with his roles as the Romulan Admiral Jarek and Oda's discoverer Mora Pole, Mora Paul, he carries the episode. It's neither here nor there, but I sort of think that all three of these roles are th uh, as the same character in a way I don't feel about characters played by Vaughn Armstrong or Jeffrey Combs. Ethan Phillips acts well, but the writers have done little to make Neelix a sympathetic or likable character at this point. I wish they had. For me, this episode would have been more palatable if it had centered around a different Voyager crew member somehow. Yes, I would show this to someone as a good example of a Voyager episode, which is a definition of a four out of five. Oops. Eric McGowan says, Neelix, especially early Neelix, tends to be annoying, but it's episodes like this that really help his character. Giving such a normally jovial and downright buffoonish character such a dark backstory works well and gives the actor Ethan Phillips more to work with. 
Brendan Howell says, I'm with changing on this one. It sucks because Neelix's in it and Neelix annoys me. I'm sure it would have been a better episode with someone else as the victim. Kess, maybe? Chichelle's plan to resurrect the victims of the Metreon Cascade is even less plausible than Emery Erickson trying to get his son out of the transporter buffer after 15 years. Two cases of Neutremia Plague out of five. Final comment. Royo says, this episode always annoys me with its juvenile take on Oppenheimer for inventing a weapon, not deploying it, mind you, for developing it. Do we call Dr. Richard J. Gatling a mass murderer for inventing the machine gun? It was then that Oppenheimer famously told Truman that I feel I have blood on my hands, which was unacceptable to Truman, who immediately replied that there was no concern of Oppenheimer's and that if anyone had bloody hands, it was the president, October 1945. Worst of all, this episode turns Oppenheimer into a strong man of himself with criminally weak justifications and is unable to defend himself, which when put in context against the historical Manhattan Project that was in the competition with the Axis nuclear weapon programs makes the episode's comparisons absurd because Oppenheimer knew what he was doing. The writers have made this story so similar to the dropping of the atomic bomb on Japan, even down to the casualty numbers and survivors developing degenerative blood problems, but then set the scenario of the development and deployment of the Metreon Cascade to be so dissimilar to the Manhattan Project in World War II that it leaves this allegory broken and destroys whatever point it was trying to make. 1.5 out of 5. That's it. Thanks, everybody, for leaving your thoughts. Patreon.com slash The Penske File is the place to support the show. If you're so inclined, you can leave your comments there, too. They're on the Patreon post for these things. And that's it. We're done with Jatrell. Clay told me via text that he gives this one a high 3. I give it a 2, I think. Clay seemed to like it more than I did. I find it kind of a jumbled mess, and I don't find the um, the drama of it particularly convincing or uh, empathetic or anything like that. I don't really relate to Neelix and this guy in a way that I relate to the duet relationship between Kira and that Cardassian. Um, I just think that it is... It's kind of fuzzy. It's just a little bit of a fuzzy episode that doesn't have a plot that I can sort of sink into in terms of understanding everything that's going on and all the motivations and stuff like that. So I'll give it a two. I think it's slightly below average. I would skip this one on rewatch. Um, don't really agree with the super positive reviews for it, but taste is uh, subjective, as they say. Clay gives it a three. I give it a two. That's Chitrell. We'll be back with the final episode of the season next week. Which is learning learning curve, I think, right? That's what it's called. So we'll be back with that. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Apologies about the technical difficulties. We'll see what we can do about it. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next time.